It's a Tuesday edition of PFTPM. Good afternoon. Welcome in. Here we are on Peacock coming up later in the program. My conversation from earlier this afternoon with Saints coach Sean Payton, fourth straight playoff berth for the Saints, nine straight wins, 10-2, and two, and their magic number to win the division is one. We'll have the Week 13 awards coming up, even though Week 13 isn't over yet. Too bad. We'll just assume that no one from the Ravens or Cowboys will do enough to justify winning an award. Shereen Williams, do you have faith in my prognostication that no one from the Cowboys especially will do anything to justify an award? I was going to say, I don't know. The Ravens may have somebody come out of the woodwork and, and do something about that against that bad Cowboys defense. Who knows? But, yeah, I have complete faith that we are going to have no Cowboys in an award conversation. The Cowboys haven't played in 12 days, and the fact that most haven't even missed them gives you an idea of where the Cowboys currently are right now. And I think this is a point that Peter King made earlier today. We do some Yahoo Sports videos every Tuesday. The idea that everyone thought it would be Cowboys-Eagles battling it out for the top of the division, yeah. and they're now boxing out for the basement while the Giants and Washington are the two top dogs. There's still not a huge spread in the standings, it feels like a much bigger spread in reality as the Cowboys and the Eagles sink to the bottom, and this could be more evidence of it tonight if the Ravens do handle the Cowboys easily, Shereen. Yeah, and Mike, I'll be interested what the ratings are in this game too because the Cowboys, despite their record, obviously had the most-watched game as it annually is. That Thanksgiving Day game against Washington was the highest-rated show on TV. So win or lose, people love to watch them for whatever reason, but it is a must-win for both of these teams, and the Cowboys definitely need it if they're going to stay in that race because, as you said, we all thought Eagles are Cowboys, and those two teams now are fighting for the seller. We have an outline that we'll eventually get to, but you remind me, reminded me of something that I've yet to write about. I keep reminding myself, we're getting reminders of it, and I've not yet reduced it to writing, but I need to. And this Tuesday night game made me think of it. There's a push within the league, some in the league, to expand the total number of weekly windows as legalized wagering continues to spread. And as we get closer and closer to the arrival of technology that allows the cell phone device to lock in bets between plays with no latency based on what we see at home. So there isn't that possibility someone knows what's already happened and is making the bet for a play that's already transpired. The idea is give people more games they can focus on and therefore bet on for three hours, strip down the number of one o'clock Eastern games on a Sunday, spread it out to maybe an early morning window every week or every other week as they play games in London at 9.30 a.m. Eastern kickoff. Two games on Monday, a game on Tuesday, maybe a game on Wednesday. You know, I've argued for a few years now that a, a league like the AAF or the XFL should play in season on Tuesday and Wednesday nights during football season. The NFL, and now you'd have to be creative with buys and giving teams proper rest, but you could drop primetime games into every Tuesday and Wednesday night if you wanted to. And then you got Thursday as well. More windows, more opportunities for people to focus on games, and ultimately more money for the NFL. So th there's, there's a movement for that to happen, and this has been an unintended and unexpected test case this year, Shereen. 
Yeah, and Mike, whether you bet or not, I enjoy it. I mean, I'm looking forward to the game tonight, despite the fact of these teams' records are not that great. And we both know that these teams probably, the Ravens, that we know the Cowboys aren't, but the Ravens probably aren't going to win the Super Bowl, even though one of us picked them before the season to win the Super Bowl. That's not going to happen. So I've resigned myself to that, by the way. But I, I think everyone, if you look on Twitter, I think everyone has really enjoyed, especially the two games on Monday nights. And, you know, we've gotten a taste of that every year with that first kickoff weekend when we have the, the two Monday night games that are a little bit later. I don't know if West Coast people like that. That Well, the West Coast people like it. I don't know if you guys on the East Coast like that really late start of the West Coast game on that Monday night, but I think everyone has enjoyed the two games on Monday night. That's That, to me, has been fun to watch those two games, and I, I think we need more of that and hope we have more of that moving forward. What's going to drive it, though, is money. And, you know, people may say, well, as you break games out and isolate them on a Tuesday night, you, you get the greater potential for a bad game. You know, when you have a bunch of games being played at once, one or two are good, the other ones are so-so, well, 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 we'll switch around, we'll do red zone or whatever the case may be. But... As the betting options in-game expand, it won't matter if it's a blowout. You can make a bet, start of the third quarter with an adjusted line if you want to. You can do the play-by-play, drive-by-drive betting all game long, fantasy options, whatever the case may be. So now we'll get back to all the things that we had meant to talk about. Let's go to the Philadelphia Eagles, who are competing with the Dallas Cowboys currently for the basement in the NFC East. They're trying to get out of it. They have the Saints coming to town this weekend. Not an easy way to turn it around. And Jalen Hurts, the starting quarterback for the Philadelphia Eagles as the Saints head into town. Uh, Look, I'm not surprised by this when Carson Wentz got benched against the Packers on Sunday and Hurts went in. It tells me that whoever in the organization has been pushing for Hurts finally has won, and Wentz is playing poorly. What else do you have to lose? Maybe this is what turns your your season around. Although last year, what turned the season around was Wentz playing really well, even though everyone else was injured, and they found a way to win four in a row to win the division. I think they've seen enough from Wentz, Shireen, to realize that's not going to happen. And they're just admitting it. Even though this guy's making a ton of money this year, a ton of money next year, it's all guaranteed next year. There's some guarantees going into 2022 as well that they have to put someone on the field that they think has a better chance of winning. I think, Mike, that they hope that he provides a spark and turns this thing around. But frankly, you're also looking at 2021. You know, we've talked repeatedly and you've written about it that Carson Wentz, because of his money, is going to have to be on the roster next season. That doesn't mean he has to be the starting quarterback. And you really want to know what you have in this guy who's been sitting on the bench for most of the season. He didn't play much. Uh, in those first few games, and they need to see what they have in him. Do they need to go out and maybe try to get a Nick Foles or somebody else to come in and be the bridge quarterback? Or is Jalen Hurts really your quarterback of the future? And this gives him a chance, at least a little window here, to see what he has in him if they believe he is a franchise quarterback. And, Mike, I wasn't surprised by the decision. I was surprised by the timing of the decision, and I think it's really stupid on the Eagles' part to come out and announce now that that Jalen Hurts is going to be their quarterback. Do you remember back, Sean Payton kept repeatedly saying, I'm not going to tell you whether Taysom Hill or Jameis Winston is going to start, and we debated that thing the entire week, and I'm sure, I can't remember who they played that week, 
uh, was, was game planning for Falcons were game planning for both quarterbacks. That to me is the most amazing thing about this is that they actually announced it today on a Tuesday off day, giving the team they play the entire week to prepare for Jalen Hurts, where they would have had to prepare for two quarterbacks, and that's now not going to happen. Coincidentally, that topic comes up in my discussion with Sean Payton. So if you stick around and watch the Payton interview, you will hear why he did what he did and why he ultimately believes when you're facing a team like the Eagles where the two quarterbacks have roughly the same skill set. It, it doesn't matter if you don't know because your game plan is roughly the same. And I also think Doug Peterson, at this point when everyone has low confidence in Philadelphia and things aren't going well, I think Peterson's sufficiently self-aware to know he doesn't have the same sway in the locker room that Peyton has to get everybody to shut the hell up about it. Because once someone gets the first team reps tomorrow at practice, someone's going to say something. And they're not going to care that Doug Peterson may not like it because right now the sizzle isn't connected to Doug Peterson. I had a thought when we were talking about Carson Wentz's future. And I don't know how much sense this makes, but Frank Reich was the offensive coordinator the year that the Eagles won a Super Bowl, the year that Carson Wentz was the MVP favorite until he tore his ACL. And they've got Phillip Rivers on a year-to-year arrangement. I wonder if they could maybe try to unload Carson Wentz onto the Colts. I mean, they'd have to be willing to take on $25 million in cash and cap obligations, but $25 million is what they are paying Phillip Rivers. So uh, there may be something to that. There may be something to that. I hadn't thought of that until just now. I've, I've, I've racked my brain, Shereen, trying to think where could they put Carson Wentz. And the one that does make sense to me is the Indianapolis Colts. And I have wondered, Mike, how much of Frank Reich leaving, because it did coincide with the injury and then Carson Wentz coming back from that injury and it kind of his downfall, how much of it is the injury? How much is it of Frank Reich not being there anymore? And how much is it of him not having the weapons in the offensive line in front of him and around him? And all of those things, I think, are factors, but it does make sense from the standpoint of if Frank Wright still thinks a lot of Carson Wentz for them to get Carson Wentz as their quarterback. Philip Rivers' situation is going to be complicated, A, by his age. Uh, today is his birthday, by the way, 39 years old, I believe, today. And so today's his birthday. We know his age. We know he wants to keep playing, or he said he's wanted to keep playing but he is going to have to have all-season foot surgery. So that complicates everything in in his free agency and whether the Colts decide to re-sign him or not. So it does absolutely make sense that that might be the one place that you could get rid of Carson Wentz if that's what you're looking to do in the offseason. And then the question becomes, who's your quarterback next season, which now we're Jalen Hurts to figure out if he can be that guy. December 8, a good day for Phillip Rivers. This time frame though not a good window for Carson Wentz how about this it was December 10 of 2017 when he suffered the torn ACL in a game at the Los Angeles Rams ending his season opening the door for Nick Foles to become the Super Bowl MVP December 9 2018 he exits with a back injury that let Nick Foles take the team to the brink of the final four a dropped all Sean Jeffrey pass derailing an opportunity to beat the Saints in their own building. And now December 8, 2020, 
benched for Jalen Hurts. And, you know, I keep thinking back to the Jay Glazer report from the weekend on the Fox pregame show that people in the organization believe that Carson Wentz had his confidence shattered by the Jalen Hurts selection. And, hey, if that is true, if your confidence is going to be shattered by that, then maybe you don't have what it takes to be a franchise quarterback in the NFL. Look at how Aaron Rodgers responded to Jordan Love being taken in round one, and they traded up. And if this is true, and I don't have any reason to doubt Glazer, it makes you wonder, does Carson Wentz have top to bottom, inside and out, the, that metal, that toughness to get it done? And we haven't seen him get it done with the season on the line because every time it's happened, he's gotten injured. And last year, it was that illegal hit from Jadavian Clowney that knocked him out of the wild card game. We didn't get to see whether or not he could lead the Eagles to a victory in the postseason. So so maybe this is an important glimpse for the Eagles on the the ultimate limitations to what Carson Wentz can do for them or really anyone else. I listened to his entire press conference on Sunday, Mike, and you know he said all the right things and said that that never factored into his confidence when they drafted Jalen Hurts. He's still confident. He's never lost that, but something has happened to Carson Wentz. And if it's not his confidence, then the the Eagles probably have bigger problems. But I don't know if that's something you can repair or not. And it's going to be interesting to see from now on the rest of the season into the offseason if they can repair that confidence or whatever was shattered with Carson Wentz. Uh, because we, we remember back to the 2017 season before his ACL injury against the Rams, and he was an MVP candidate. He looked like one of the best quarterbacks in football, which is why the Eagles signed him to that huge extension, and he just hasn't been the same guy, particularly over the last year and a half. Uh, he's just struggled, and uh, maybe it is the, the lack of playmakers around him, the lack of an offensive line. He doesn't trust his offensive line, getting hit so much with so many injuries. I don't know, but this isn't the same guy we saw in 2017. From Philadelphia, where things are definitely not going well, to Pittsburgh, where they had been going incredibly well until last night. The one big difference, though, that I noticed between Mike Tomlin from Wednesday after they ran their record to 11-0 and last night after they picked up their first loss of the season, Tomlin seems loose, relieved, relaxed, almost happy that they finally got the inevitable loss out of the way. Here's some more from Mike Tomlin reflecting on how things went haywire on Monday late afternoon, early evening against the Washington football team. You can't get a yard. You don't deserve to win. And um, and that was the case for us in this game. Uh, we had several sequences uh, where we had an opportunity where if we gained a yard, it's significant in terms of the development of the outcome of the game, and we were unsuccessful. We had a goal line sequence where we had four to five shots uh, from at or around the one. Uh, we were su- unsuccessful. Uh, that was catastrophic. Um, and then later in the game, we were at a tie ball game, about five minutes left to go. We had a third and one and a fourth and one sequence uh, in the Redskin territory. We were unable to get a yard in that sequence as well. And obviously that allowed them to gain possession of the ball and move the ball down the field and kick a go-ahead field goal. Um, if you can't get a yard in our game, uh, you don't deserve to win. That's the nuts and bolts element of football, the physicality element of football. Uh, we didn't meet that challenge, and so we have some work to do in that area. The big thing for us is to examine why, um, to get back in the lab and recapture some of the rhythm that we've had in those situational moments throughout the year. There have been times during the year where we haven't run the ball as fluidly as we like, but even in the midst of those the situational moments, we've been solid. 
we weren't in our last performance, and so we got to own that. You know, the run game just isn't there for the Steelers this year. Last night it was abysmal. And Sims and I were talking earlier today, Shereen, on PFT Live, regarding whether and to what extent you've got Ben Roethlisberger changing from run plays to pass plays at the line of scrimmage. And I don't want to go into the same degree of psychoanalysis that I applied this morning, but it got me thinking about things I've heard about Super Bowl forty-five, where there was a belief that there was an effort by then-coordinator Bruce Arians to work with Roethlisberger to showcase him to be the MVP of the game. And it it caused them to lose sight of the more important thing, which is winning the game. And when we've had all this talk all year long, Steelers are undefeated. Why isn't Ben Roethlisberger an MVP candidate? It makes me wonder, is he trying to do too much? Is he trying to put too much on him so he can show he's worthy of being in the same conversation with Patrick Mahomes, Aaron Rodgers, Russell Wilson, etc.? The bottom line, though, is their running game is really bad. James Conner proving his value through his absence. And now Conner expected to come back from the COVID-19 reserve list. Marquise Pouncey expected to come back from the COVID-19 reserve list. If they want to have any chance against the Bills team that looked awesome last night in a primetime game on Monday night that was the first the Bills have won this century on Monday night, the, the, the Steelers need their best players and they need to be able to establish some semblance of a running game. Oh, absolutely, Mike. And there was a story, I want to say, two or three weeks ago in the Pittsburgh market that said... The headline was, who needs to run the ball? And I'm thinking, seriously, who needs to run the ball? You're in Pittsburgh where the weather's going to turn really bad. You better be able to run the ball. If you don't run the ball, you are have zero chance to win the Super Bowl. And I still believe that. Pittsburgh has got to be able to run the ball. He is Ben Roethlisberger is not and never has been Patrick Mahomes. He's a really good player. He's probably going to go into the Pro Football Hall of Fame. So I'm not taking anything away from him, but he's not the same player as Patrick Mahomes is. He needs a running game. They need a running game to go with that great defense. They now rank 29th in in, in rushing. They've got to be better than that, or this team has no chance. And, Mike, I think we all expected them to lose a game, but now you're looking at their schedule and you're like, they could lose two games, another game, two, uh, two more games, three more games. I mean, there's three games possibly on that schedule they could lose. And that loss yesterday was out of conference, so that helps them in the race with Kansas City. But if they want home field advantage and a bye in the playoffs, which I think they need, then they're probably going to have to win out. Now, I just don't see that happening, especially if they can't run the ball. Bills, Bengals, Colts, Browns, and you had Aggie great Miles Garrett last night essentially (laughs) doing this on Twitter. They're opening the door potentially in Pittsburgh for the Browns to win the division. I think it's more work than the Browns can do with four games left. They're two games behind, but they do have one game head-to-head with the Pittsburgh Steelers. They do have an opportunity to swipe that division away from Pittsburgh, which would be something. All right, Shereen, you participated in the conference call today with the NFL Players Association. An update on the pandemic and how the union is handling it. And one of the questions everyone's interested in, postseason bubble. And frankly, I think there should be a bubble right now. I think the sooner they put teams in hotels and seal them off from the communities where the virus is running rampant, the better off everyone will be. That's not going to happen over the balance of the regular season. As it relates to the postseason, what was said, it's a big ask from the NFLPA's perspective, which is code for if you want us to do it, you better be ready to offer something significant. 
Yeah, and you've said that all along, Mike, and I think that's exactly what they're going to have to do if they want the postseason bubble. And I don't know why you wouldn't want it. And the question was, there were three questions about it, and one in particular about, hey, Major League Baseball, the NBA, hockey, all did this and it worked well, especially you can make the comparison with Major League Baseball because they were at their home sites during the regular season and then switched to two different, uh, actually four different bubbles and then went to one bubble. So they had on-site bubbles, but with the NFL, they're not going to do that. Roger Goodell's already said that. But if they want the local bubbles, like I think the NFL probably is going to want with the COVID numbers just repeatedly going up in communities where the NFL plays, then that you're exactly right. The NFL is going to have to give up something to the NFLPA to get an agreement on that with some guys, as J.C. Treader pointed out, having to leave their homes potentially for six straight weeks. Here's what the NFL is banking on. The NFL is banking on the teams that make it to the playoffs choosing to bubble up on their own, to have the team leaders, the quarterbacks, the defensive players who lead that side of the ball, to tell the other players, we're all staying in a hotel, whether you like it or not. Kiss your wife goodbye, say farewell to anyone else you live with, and we are going to stay in the hotel until our season ends. I think that's what's ultimately going to happen. The NFL won't have to give anything up. Week 13 awards when PFTPM continues right after this. Thirteen weeks in, minus one game that gets played later tonight, but we will not delay the awards for the Ravens and the Cowboys. MDS, as I said earlier, we'll just assume no one from the Ravens or the Cowboys will do anything award-worthy and we'll trudge on through without them. So, the four categories, as always, Offensive Player of the Week, Defensive Player of the Week, Rookie of the Week, Coach of the Week. We'll get it rolling with MDS and the Offensive Player of the Week. Well, I've got Darren Waller, the tight end for the Raiders, who had an outstanding game against the Jets, catching 13 passes for 200 yards and two touchdowns. But I also want to point out that on that incredible touchdown pass to win the game, where the Jets shocked everyone with that all-out blitz, Waller stayed in and picked up the blitzer, who would have been right in Derek Carr's face if Waller hadn't made that block. So the guy's the Raiders' leading receiver for the day, but also a tremendous blitz pickup on the biggest play of the day. He just had a great game. He's playing great football this year. He is MDS. And before I get to mine, I'm going to make note that we didn't forget Baker Mayfield. Yes, he had a great game in the first half. And anytime you're throwing autograms name in there, it's a great half. We are, we, I had him on our review as the best player in that game and our review got thrown out. So just a note that we didn't forget Baker Mayfield. He just got thrown out in our review. And I'm going to pick Devontae Adams because he leads the league in yards per game. Of course, he missed a couple games earlier this season, but 102.9. It's just been amazing. Seven consecutive games with a touchdown, 10 catches, 121 yards, and two touchdowns in the win uh, against the Eagles the other day and, and caught Aaron Rodgers' 400th career touchdown pass. And You know, I think the receiver position is going to be really hard to decide who the all-pro receivers are. You only get to pick two of them, but I think we've got to put his name right in there as one of those top two receivers. Yeah, you know, it's Aaron Rodgers and it's Devontae Adams. Aaron Jones has good performances from time to time. He's not consistently dominant. There isn't a whole lot of help in the passing game for Aaron Rodgers beyond Devontae Adams. If he stays healthy, that team can go 
extremely far, and Adams has been special. For me, it's Josh Allen from the Monday night game. Josh Allen was spectacular last night. When I spoke to him the prior week after they beat the Chargers, I asked him about the upcoming slate of primetime games. They have three in four weeks. Is there any element of we're anxious to show the world what we can do? And he said there isn't. The way he played last night tells me there is. This was an opportunity for the Bills for the first time in a long time to win on Monday Night Football. And they were great. The offense was unstoppable. And when you have against that 49ers defense, because they don't have the pass rush they had last year, if you can't put heat on Josh Allen, those defensive backs can't cover good receivers. They just can't. All due respect to Jason Verrett and Richard Sherman, they can't do it. They cannot do it. Verrett was in a cat and mouse thing with Stephon Diggs last night, and Diggs was the cat, and Diggs constantly won. And Sherman, I frankly, I'm not, I, I, I don't get it at this point because I don't really see him do much of anything when the play is on. He stands in one spot. He moves a few steps. He points at someone else if the coverage gets blown, and that's pretty much it. All due respect. All right, let's go with Defensive Players of the Week for Week 13. MDS, who you got? I got Justin Houston, the Colts, who had three sacks on Sunday, one of which forced a fumble. Another recorded the fourth safety of his NFL career, which ties the all-time record. He believes he ought to have the all-time record all to himself because he had another play that he thinks he should have been credited with a safety. It was officially ruled a team safety by the offense. He thinks he should have five career safeties, whatever. He has four official career safeties, and he is playing very good football I think he's one of the biggest reasons that that Colts defense is going to make them tough to beat in the playoffs. MDS, I'm going with the other guy who had three sacks, and that's Kyle Van Noy. And he was mic'd up for the game. And before the game, he said, I woke up feeling dangerous. I'm going to get me a three-piece today. And he got him a three-piece. He had three sacks. Initially, it was ruled two and a half. He had to split the sack. And before the game was over, they had changed that to a full sack for Kyle Van Noy. But he had eight tackles, three sacks, five tackles for loss, one pass breakup. And you see the reason that Brian Flores wanted to bring him in from New England because he has been the guy. Six, game, six sacks now for the season. Four of them have come in the last two weeks. His career high was last season was 6.5. I woke up feeling dangerous. Baker Mayfield finds another path into the awards, even though he didn't actually make it into the awards this week. That was his great quote from a couple of years ago, his rookie season with the Cleveland Browns. Mine, Tyron Matthew, for a couple of reasons. First of all, he had two interceptions against the Denver Broncos, and he sealed the team's fate, Denver's fate, that is, on the drive that happened with the Broncos down only six points. But also, Tyron Matthew made it clear last week when he's done playing, he's coming to work with us. So, you know, this is just advanced employee relations. All right, Tyron, we can't wait to get you here. But the way you're playing, I have a feeling it's going to be a while. He's been the heart and soul of that defense ever since he arrived. It was a great move by the Chiefs to get him last year. He's paying off dividends over and over again. And it's helped that team become a complete team, not just an offense that is susceptible to being outscored. They do give up their share of points, but they clamped down the other night and got the victory thanks to the two interceptions. All right, it's Rookie of the Week time, MDS. Who you got? I got Tate Crowder of the Giants. He's a rookie seventh-round draft pick. He's making a big impact. He led the team with six solo tackles in a very good defensive performance against the Seahawks on Sunday. And, you know, that Giants defense has a lot of young, unheralded late-round picks who aren't playing like young, unheralded late-round picks. Obviously, it helps that they're in the NFC East. In another division, they wouldn't be playoff contenders. But they are playoff contenders. And I don't know that, that an opposing offense wants to face that defense 
in January. And the scenario that really fascinates me is the idea that Tom Brady could end up on the road against a Giants team that has given him trouble in the postseason a couple times. I think that defense would give Tom Brady everything he could handle. I think that's something we really need to keep an eye out for because with players like Tay Crowder, this Giants defense is only getting better as the season goes on. No question about that, MDS. And I'm going with a defensive player, too, and that's Cameron Dantzler. We all want to talk about the Vikings' first-round pick, Justin Jefferson, who's really stood out. But Cameron Dantzler's done the same thing on the other side of the ball. Of course, he had the COVID case earlier this year. But the third-round pick really has made up for the losses they had at that position in the offseason. Been a very consistent guy. Had his first career pick, and he also forced a fumble. And the fumble came on the only completion that he gave up all day seven times he was targeted gave up one completion for four yards and forced a fumble by Chris Conley at the end of that so he had four tackles interception forced fumble and recovered fumble and just was outstanding for the Vikings on Sunday they definitely need that on that side of the ball with so much upheaval at the cornerback position you mentioned their first round pick Justin Jefferson that's my guy. He didn't have a dramatically huge eye-popping day, but it was consistent. It was solid. It's what he tends to do week in and week out. He's got over 1,000 yards in just 12 games, only the fourth NFL rookie to ever do that. And his first two games were kind of a nothing. They weren't working him into the offense yet. It has proven the Vikings right in the trade that sent Stephon Diggs to uh, the Buffalo Bills. And uh, I think it's fitting that Justin Jefferson wears number 18. That was the number Randy Moss initially wore when he came to the Vikings before he switched to 84 back in 1998. All right, coach of the week time, MDS, who do you have? I have Daryl Bevel, who has said he views his situation as the Lions interim head coach as a five-game audition to become the head coach. Now, I suspect Lions ownership probably wants to make a more significant change and not just move on to Matt Patricia's offensive coordinator. But I liked the way Bevel had the Lions playing on Sunday. It would be easy for a team in that situation to pack it in after falling behind early. Instead, the Lions played very spirited football in the second half, came back and won. Daryl Bevel deserves a lot of credit for that. We all thought Washington didn't uh, that Steelers were going to lose. We certainly didn't think Washington was going to be the team to do it. Ron Rivera fired after a five and second seven record last season. He's five and seven this season and being talked about for Coach of the Year. What a turnaround for Ron Rivera! Right team, right coach, right time for Ron Rivera. Definitely comeback player of the year and Alex Smith, maybe coach of the year in Ron Rivera. I'm going to go to Cleveland since you snubbed Baker Mayfield, Shireen. We'll give Kevin Stefanski <laughs> the coach of the week award from my perspective. Look, that win over the Titans, signature victory, one of the most important wins the Browns have had in a very, very long time to go into Tennessee and prove that they could not only just compete with a great team, but blow a great team off the field. They have a burst of confidence, and Stefanski told me after the game, this is December football. The guys are working harder and better and smarter, and they know what the stakes are week in and week out, and they are right on the brink of making it to the postseason for the first time in 18 years. All right, we say thank you to MDS. When we return, we'll take a closer look at the Tuesday night game, Cowboys at Ravens. We'll be right back.
All right, tonight, week 13 concludes with the Dallas Cowboys playing for the first time in 12 days. The Ravens back on the field six days after their loss in Pittsburgh. A huge game, really, for both teams. The Cowboys still alive. They're 3-8. and eight. They're only a game and a half behind. They win their one game behind. The two teams tied for first place in the NFC East. The Ravens desperately need to win. They can't afford to fall to 6-6. Six and six. They need this one badly, and they're getting people like Lamar Jackson back. They're likely to have Calais Campbell and Brandon Williams back. They've been gone due to injury and Campbell, the COVID-19 reserve list. This should be, this should be a romp for the Baltimore Ravens. But, you know, the thing about this year and every year in the NFL, when you think you know what's going to happen, you find out that you have no idea. But I don't see any two ways around this. When the Cowboys have been so thoroughly unimpressive recently, they barely beat the Vikings. The Vikings have been playing down to the level of everyone they play this year. I just don't see the Ravens, knowing the stakes, giving in to the temptation to not uh, – or the, giving in to the temptation to possibly get knocked off by the Cowboys. The only thing I see the Cowboys having a chance, Mike, the only way is Lamar Jackson. Is he going to be like Cam Newton coming off that COVID list when you have the COVID cloudiness, as we refer to it, that you're just not quite right? And if that happens, then I think the Cowboys have a chance because I don't think the Ravens are going to be able to blow them out because they're not going to score enough points to blow them out. But the Cowboys certainly have to do a better job stopping the run because they did not do that against Washington. If they don't stop the run, they're going to run for 300 yards, and this is going to be a romp. That's a great point about Lamar Jackson because Cam Newton clearly wasn't right. He denied it when he was asked about it while it was happening. But once he got to the other end of it, I think people realized it did take him some time to get back to 100%. And only the Ravens know whether or not they believe Lamar Jackson is back to where he needs to be in order to be as dominant as he can be and get this team back on the right track. This is huge, though. They lose this one. They may miss the playoffs, Shireen. I, I, I don't know how you recover yeah. from losing this one. They could still go 10-6, and six, but I'd have no faith in them winning four in a row if they can't win tonight against a Cowboys team that they should easily beat. When we return, my conversation with Saints coach Sean Payton from earlier today. Stick around. We'll be back with more PFTPM right after this. Joining us now, the head coach of the New Orleans Saints, 10-2, clinching their fourth straight playoff berth and trying to do what they did back in 2009, finish it all with a Super Bowl championship. He is Sean Payton. Coach, welcome back. How are you? Good, Mike. Thanks for having me on. Oh, it's great to talk to you, as always. And I talked to your current starting quarterback, Taysom Hill, after the game on Sunday. He made it clear to me that the latest episode of the don't eat the cheese prop includes baskets of cheese that were given to all players put in their lockers. That, that sounds like a hell of a lot of cheese that you had to track down. Every once in a while, there's a request and I don't know. I don't know sometimes how they're fulfilled. They just get fulfilled. You know, there was a company on the, on the Bugs Bunny road runner called Acme (laughs) And a truck would just pull up. But anyway, it, it came, look, it came during that Thanksgiving break. And I thought, look, there's a message behind it. And then also they can bring back a basket of, of some crackers, mustard cheese, et cetera, uh, to their house. Um, but look, these guys, these guys have been responding. They understand each week. They understand the challenges each week, uh, especially in this league. And, and that's, you're, you're trying to think of unique ways. Um, to just make sure they're they're 
working on that game and, and not uh, any other. How much do you have to remind yourself of that? You're rocketing toward the postseason again, first team to officially clinch this year. We know what's happened each of the last three years. You don't need me to remind you of it. How much do you have to keep yourself from from peeking ahead, thinking ahead, looking ahead, and and follow the, your own don't eat the cheese mantra? Yeah. I, listen, I think it's different for coaches. I know it's different for me, and I and I can only say this, and I – Early in the week, like today, Tuesday, we're game planning now on Philly and 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 going through first and second down, third down. And um, for me, at the beginning, in the middle of each week, the team we're getting ready to play looks like the '85 Bears. <laughs> in other words, it, 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 there are new challenges, there are new problems. We have to come up with solutions. Uh, you're unsettled a little bit because you, you want to make sure you have the right plan. Is this the right way to attack this team? There are a lot of those questions racing through your mind. And as the week progresses, those begin to get calmed down. You begin to maybe get more and more, not confident, but more and more of an understanding, more and more clarity relative to what you want to do. And, and, and so it is that, it is that short term, um, the whole day today is first and second down. And yesterday I'll take a peek always at the, at the league touchdown reel and record basically every touchdown that's scored and, and run and pass and, and, and then some other special situations that come up and kind of keep a file of that just so you're not losing track of a good idea, something that, you know, looked pretty good. And, and it may come up in a, uh, in a game, if not that week, maybe down the road, but, um, but back to your question, I, I, I think, I think it's our jobs as coaches sometimes to, Hey, haul them in, bring them in and say, look, this is here. Here are the things that, that can beat us this week. And this is what this team does well. And, and you have to understand every week, man, we're playing an NFL team and th- these are the things that they do exceptionally well. And, uh, so I think it's a little easier for us not to get ahead, um, and, and the important thing is communicating that to everyone. You did a masterful job a few weeks ago of keeping close to the vest the identity of your starting quarterback after Drew Brees was injured. This week, you're preparing to face an Eagles team that has yet to announce its starter. Will it be Carson Wentz? Will it be Jalen Hurts? How much of that is a practical impediment to your efforts to game plan when you don't know who the starter is going to be? I think it's a good question. I think in their case, uh, and this would be just my opinion, um, both both of those quarterbacks have athleticism that can beat you outside the pocket. They can beat you with the, the off-schedule throws um, when they elude. Um, they can throw on the run very well. Uh, I, I think, look, I think sometimes when there's a dramatic difference between A and B, um, you'd like to know earlier in your in your planning, and, and yet, um, you know, generally speaking, uh, when you're when you're defending a team, you're defending an offense. But there can be some subtle differences, and when player X goes goes out, we've all seen this before. In game, a player get hurt, and a game has a certain flow to it, and then another player comes in at that position, particularly quarterback, and all of a sudden it's like what happened and, and and there's a different flow to it and sometimes that can be from the from the skill set variation from one to two
I have a question for you that very possibly is a stupid question, but that's never stopped me in the past. One of my theories for <laughs> why you kept it quiet a few weeks ago between Taysom Hill and Jameis Winston, it made it a bigger issue. It made it a bigger game. It made it more of a focus and necessarily put a little more pressure on Taysom. Was that part of the motivation to test him a little bit, to see how he would hold up when everyone is paying attention to what he does? Well, look, that was going to be a, a big game for him regardless. It was going to be his first start. And, um, yeah, was there a certain amount of pressure on him in that game? I, I Absolutely. I felt that myself, even as the head coach or, or the play caller. Because, look, people don't want to be wrong. People expect certain things to happen, and then all of a sudden it's 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 something else. Then it's like, well, why is that happening? And, uh, and so – Look, the very first play of the game was a was a bunch with Mike Thomas motioning out to the to the numbers in a in a, in a, in a little sprint pass, and Taysom's wound up and gets out there, and we line up in bunch, and he snaps the ball and returns. I said, "What happened to the motion?" And and you know, if, when you go through your first ten plays, you might script ten or eight plays, what have you, and then go walk through them in the hotel or wherever you're at. And you kind of go through him two or three times. And, but look, he was excited to be in that spot. And uh, I think for me and for us, it was a little bit more about how the game plan might vary defending Jameis Winston versus Taysom Hill. And Jameis, who had played in that game prior and helped us beat, uh, I think it was, who did we play, the Chargers then? Um, where, where Jameis came in to finish, uh, you know, those are two different uniquely skills. The, the quarterback skill sets of those two are much different. How much of the playbook is currently available to Taysom, and how has that changed over the last few weeks? Well, I'd say it's changed over the last few weeks. And so that there's, there's no just, oh, monster playbook that sits out there. It kind of sits in, in, in the computer screen somewhere and, and plays sit. You know, I mean, there's certain run designs that we'll try to feature each week, but, um, but yeah, I think our job is to, is to build this around what he does well. And, you know, we think he has a live arm. We think he throws the ball well down the field. We think obviously he can run and he can run real fast. Um, and, but the thing that I think he did well last weekend, and it was the, the first real opportunity two weeks ago was an aberration when we played out in Denver and, and that's not a, a, a real good game to even begin to look at, but I thought he handled the third down well in Atlanta, particularly, I mean, he had about, I think we ended up in eight and nine or 13, but man, he made some, some really good decisions and, and throws uh, against a difficult third down defense. And ultimately in this league, you're going to have to be able to, convert third and seven, third and eight, five yards behind the center in the pocket. And, and he was able to do that. You've been doing this a long time. You now have 141 wins, 79 losses. I've looked at the records of some of the other coaches who have at least one Super Bowl win and either are or will be in Canton. Do you think about that much at all, your legacy, whether or not you're going to end up with a bronze bust? I assume it's a motivation for anyone who coaches, but how much of that do you actively think about? Um, I. Not a lot at all. I mean, I look, I still visit with, with, 
with Parcells on, on a regular basis. I've got some close friends that I've had a chance to either be a part of their careers that made it to the Hall of Fame. Um, I certainly think about Drew's legacy because that's more real and right in front of us. And, and but I, I think I imagine there'll be a time someday, someday you look back on it, but I feel like uh, I've got a lot of years coaching in me here still. And, and I feel like we've, we've built a, a real good program here. Uh, our ownership with Mrs. Benson and the front office group, Mickey Loomis, we, we've had a lot of stability. I don't take that for granted at all. We've got a passionate fan base. I mean, an extremely passionate fan base. And we've got all those things that are in place that a lot of dysfunctional teams don't have. You mentioned, Drew, what will be the factors and who makes the call on when he's able to return? Oh, I would imagine like anything else, it, it would be the doctors and the player. Uh, I mean, honestly, we'll, I know that you know we kind of stay up to speed on it. Um, there's a little bit with his injury of like watching – spaghetti boil where you've got to let it heal and, and it's it's a little different than maybe a um, soft tissue or a bone bruise or something specifically I mean uh, there's there's X amount of time that's needed uh, this is the week he's eligible to be to to come off of reserve injured and the rule this year was if someone goes on you know you're on for a three week minimum um, but each day we'll, we'll, we'll get up up to you know, an update as to how he's doing. And, and then, you know, a lot of it is how does it feel? Um, if you've ever like really thrown a baseball, a football or anything, and then you, you realize your rib cage and, and all the soft tissue and muscles surrounding it, you know, it's pretty painful. And, and that's the thing is to be able to, you know, function without those side effects or, or things that might hurt your play. This year has involved the tracking of player movements both on and off the field like never before. Tell us what Zebra Technologies has going on to better help teams and players understand everything that they're up to. We're seeing it right now. Every time, I mean, how how many times during a broadcast do we hear next-gen stats, and that's Zebra? Um, And it's kind of cool. You know, my son who watches all the games – they, they get more information than we ever thought about getting, you know, it tracks the fastest play or fastest player of the week. You know, he got to 22 miles an hour and it's usually number 10 at Kansas city. And, uh, and then they'll, they'll all of a sudden, you know, give you more information as to what personnel's on the field. They can handle a lot of the busy work. All the teams are, are, are using zebra. Now we use it for, uh, to monitor our players during training camp and, and it gives us a lot of valuable information relative to their workload. But the more and more we start tracking information relative to the players, and each player has a chip, the ball has a chip. And I, I think, Mike, we're slowly moving to a spot relative to officiating where, you know, we're going we're gonna to be a, a lot more accurate with spots of balls or, or punts that go out of bounds in the air. There, there's just a number of ways that the technology, I think, can help us get us up to speed. Uh, we see it, we see it all the time, just in a casual spot of the football. And I think the fans, uh, everyone involved wants that exactness now. And it's, it's hard to do as an official. Uh, so this is a technology that, you know, basically it's no different than your, your tracking system. If you have an invisible fence at home with a dog, you know, you set up a surrounding perimeter and then the chip inside of it, all that information is gathered and, and recorded. And, and then it's whatever you want from it. 
101 years of two sticks and 10 yards of chain. It's long overdue for something better than that to determine where the football is and whether it's gotten to where it needs to be. One more question for you before I let you go, and I know you got a lot to do. And I want to keep this general. I don't want to make it all that specific. Yeah. But we saw something over the weekend that involved your former defensive coordinator, Greg Williams, where he calls an all-out blitz late in the game, and the head coach lets it proceed. And it makes me very curious, especially when you're an offensive coach and you delegate the defense to your coordinator. What are the procedures? What are the, the rip cords in place if you see your defensive coordinator doing something that you just flat out disagree with and, and you need to change it, is there a safeguard there to step in when you have that well, much power delegated to the coordinator? So there's never that much power delegated to the coordinator if you don't want there to be that much power delegated to the coordinator. But the communication's taken place well before. I mean, in, in our game, for instance, Atlanta ended with them having the ball, I think, 19 seconds, no timeouts at their – so in a, in a, I think in a, in a similar situation a little bit, I, their field position, I don't know. Well, their field position got to midfield where they could throw one into the end zone. The, the game ended on a Hail Mary. I'm talking about our game in Atlanta, and I can only reference how we do that. And Dennis is into Utah, and, I'm, and, and it's a personnel grouping. And I'm like, Dennis, we're defending the sidelines right yet. Um, and w- right away, we're rushing three and – so there's this communication and then Dennis makes the call as to, Hey, because we're in that gray area. Are they going to throw a hail Mary here? Or are they going to throw one to get 15 yards, get out of bounds. So they get closer for a closer shot to the end zone. Um, but there's dialogue, there's dialogue well before the play because there's a clicker on my headset that goes to defense and then it goes to offense. And so look, I'm going to, I'm not going to um, interfere with the the voices and the terminology, but I'm clicking over and we're just making sure we're on the same page here. Um, they've got to, they've got to throw for the sidelines. They don't have any more timeouts. Let's keep the ball in play and we're going to win this game. And listen, what happened there? Um, enough's been said about it. Uh, um, just crazy. It was the only thing the Steelers needed last night. I, I, I've, I've been uh, I've been watching football for 50 years and I can't remember a moment like it. To me, it's the defensive equivalent of the miracle in the Meadowlands. Now, it's not like it's going to revolutionize defense because everybody already no. knew how you play a play like that. You just keep playing yeah. it like you always used to. It, it, it would be the equivalent of a handoff getting fumbled in an age where everyone knows you go into victory formation. Yeah, that would be a good, a, a great analogy that someone chose to run a handoff when a knee was all that was needed. Well, coach, we know you got plenty of work to do. Congratulations on everything that you've done so far this season. Keep it up. And uh, we look forward to talking to you again soon. Hey, Mike, thank you. And that'll do it for today's edition of PFT PM. Check us out tomorrow morning, 7 a.m. Eastern for PFT live. And we'll see you tomorrow afternoon right here for PFT PM, five o'clock Eastern. Have a great evening.